0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Delighted to welcome you to worship today. Those of you worshiping with us in the overflow, God bless you. Thank you for being a part of our worship service today. My friends in Perry, Oklahoma, Church on the Square there, we love you guys. Brian, Tina, Ahern, God bless you. It's a pleasure to to join with you on video. Open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 3. Here at Woodburn, we're starting a new series entitled Fresh Encounter, And I'm inviting all of you to participate with us. Fresh Encounter. Uh, The very title implies that that we all need something fresh, that that there's something stale about our spiritual lives. And I don't know your heart, and I don't know all of you personally, but, but, but I have a pretty good sense that if you're anything like me and the rest of us, we have a tendency to grow stale, a tendency always to need God to renew and revive us. At Woodburn Baptist Church, we are praying for revival, asking God to do something new and give us indeed a fresh encounter. In this service with me, we just sing an old hymn. In the hymnals, it's hymn number 15. It's a hymn written by a man named Robert Robinson. He wrote it way back in the 1700s when he was 23 years old. Robert Robinson at 23 was was a passionate, passionate follower of Jesus Christ. He got saved when he was a teenager, about 14 years old, at a revival with a famous evangelist named George Whitfield. and Robert Robinson got the full dose of salvation. He was an amazing, amazing young man. He wrote that hymn at at the age of 23, and you just got to spend some time and look at the words that he wrote. You've got to pay attention because he knows some things about God, and he knows some things about his own heart The hymn Come thou fount of every blessing We, we just sang in this room it, it goes Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Isn't that interesting? Come thou fount Fountain of every blessing He knows right from the start That God is the, fount, the source of every blessing God is the source of everything good He also knows that in order to worship God, his heart needs tuning. His heart somehow is always out of tune. So is mine. And that's why I love that hymn. I love the way the hymn lets me praise God. I love what Robert Robinson knows about God and his goodness. But it's that last verse, that third verse that always sort of throws me for a loop. It's the verse that says, Oh, to grace how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter. What's a fetter? It's like an iron chain. It's like a shackle. Let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter. Bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Interesting. He, he sings all of these praises to God, and he knows that God is the fountain of every blessing. But he also knows that he has a heart that's prone to wander, prone to leave the God he loves. And is he the only one? Is Robert Robinson in the 1700s the only human that's ever loved God and yet had a wandering heart? No. I've got that heart. I have a wandering heart, and so do you. There is not a human being alive. There is not a Christian uh, alive who is not very, very vulnerable to the temptation to run away from God, to, to leave God. That's why the last verse of the hymn says, Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. You see, only God can heal. A wandering heart, a wayward heart. We all have wandering hearts. In the Christian life, if you're not pouring all of your energy into moving forward, then you're going to fall off. It's just like riding a bike, do you understand? If you're not putting all your energy into moving forward, you will fall off. And and I promise you, with the number of people that I'm preaching to at this moment, in this room, in the overflow, in Oklahoma, on the internet, I'm telling you, I am speaking to people whose hearts are far away from God. I'm preaching primarily to Christians. I understand that. You're in church, but you have a wandering heart, and so do I. And chances are, if you're like me and like Robert Robinson who wrote the hymn, you've wandered. I want to invite you to come home today. We're going to look to Jeremiah chapter 3. This is amazing scripture. We're going to start in verse 19. If you ever wonder what God thinks, if you ever wonder what's inside the mind of God, especially when you yourself are far away from him, then this scripture tells you you get to look inside God's mind. You get to listen inside God's heart. You get to find out how God feels about children who wander away from him. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 19. This is the word of the Lord. It's for you. This is God speaking. I I thought to myself, I would love to treat you as my own children. I wanted nothing more than to give you this beautiful land, the finest possession in the world. I look forward to calling, I look forward to your calling me, Father, and I wanted you never to turn from me. But you've been unfaithful to me, you people of Israel. You've been like a faithless wife who leaves her husband. I, the Lord, have spoken. Voices are heard high on the windswept mountains, the weeping and pleading of God's people, for they have chosen crooked paths and have forgotten the Lord their God. My wayward children, says the Lord, come back to me. Come back to me, and I will heal your wayward hearts. Yes, we're coming, the people reply, for you are the Lord our God. Our worship of idols on the hills and our religious orgies on the mountains are a delusion. Only in the Lord our God will Israel ever find salvation. From childhood, we've watched as everything our ancestors worked for, their flocks and herds, their sons and daughters, everything they worked for was squandered on a delusion. Let us now lie down in shame and cover ourselves with dishonor. For we and our ancestors have sinned against the Lord our God. From our childhood to this day, we have never obeyed him. Take take your seats. My wayward children, says the Lord, come back to me and I will heal your wayward hearts. back I went to Staples office supply store I ran into an old friend um, we used to be friends we were good friends it's probably been uh, 25 nearly 30 years ago since we were friends um, in those days uh, we were both doing Christian music he used to write songs to the Lord that, that were amazing uh, he, he loved the Lord he loved his wife he loved his children He was a pretty amazing guy and passionate for the Lord. That's just not who he is anymore. I'd still say he's my friend, but he doesn't want anything to to do with me. It's not just me. He doesn't want anything to do with anybody who knew him back then. You see, the life that he lives now is, is completely different from the life he used to live. He divorced his wife. He abandoned his children. He abandoned the Lord. To be honest he, he just left the Lord He's a cool dude now I, I will tell you that He's middle aged uh, he, 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 he looks like a teenager He tries to look like a teenager in some ways um, I saw him at Staples We didn't even speak I used to speak to him, but honestly, uh, it's just painful to watch him because when he sees me or, or anybody who knew him back in his Christian days, if he sees you now, he'll just nearly jump out a window to, to avoid you. He, he doesn't want to see me. He doesn't want to talk to me. So, so, we just pass each other like strangers in Staples. What about him? What about... What about men and women like him? Because honestly, the world's full of people who who used to love God, who used to love God passionately, and and who used to come to church and worship, and who in another life used to have a Christian family and and used to lead their children to love the Lord. What, What about people in the old days we used the word for the word was backsliding we said that people backslid it's that picture of a person in a spiritual life who no longer moves forward they just begin to slide backwards and slide off the edge what about these people honestly what you and I think of them matters little what we need to understand is, is what God thinks of people who have backslidden what does God think and I want you to understand what God thinks about people who backslide because if you haven't already one of these days you will be the woman who has backslidden you will be the man who has backslidden and you need to understand how God feels about people who who used to walk with him but now have walked away you need to understand because honestly there are two Two lies, two giant lies about God when it comes to people who've walked away from There They're two big lies, and chances are you in some way or another believe these lies, and it's going to be an obstacle in your life one day, especially when you're far away from God. The first big lie is that God is mean, that God is this mean, vindictive God who is going to let you have it if you come back to him. That God somehow is this mean father, this ogre in heaven, and you have displeased him, and you've probably done so much that it's not even not even worth coming back now, because if you come back, God is not going to accept you. That's how a lot of people feel. That's the God that they picture and worship. That I've done so much now that it's not, even, it's not even worth coming back. That there's no way back for me. I've done too much. I've wandered too far. God probably doesn't love me. If I come back to God now, God's only going to want to punish and make me miserable. That's a big lie, but it is a common lie. It is the way a lot of people think of God, that he's just mean and vindictive. And if you come back to God in your sin, God is not going to receive you. Or if he receives you, he's not going to love you like he used to. You understand that that's a giant lie, but it's common. And some of you in this room, some of you in the sound of my voice, you're believing that lie right now. You think that if you come back to God, he's only going to want to make your life miserable. That he's going to suck the fun out of all of your life. If you come back to him and give him his way with you, he's going to somehow make your life unhappy. That's a big lie. It's a big lie, but it's commonly believed. You know, the other big lie when it comes to people who are out of fellowship with God is, is sort of that lie that God just doesn't care. And actually, in some ways, this is the more damaging and the more common lie because this is the way so many people live their lives, that God just doesn't care. That somehow God doesn't care what I do or, or, or he doesn't know what I do or if he knows, he just ignores what, what I do. Most people live their lives this way, very, very far from God. Whether they call themselves Christians or not, they live as if God is as far away from them as they are from him. People just live their lives as if God doesn't know what they do or God doesn't care what they do, as if God is just simply far, far away, as far away from you as you are from him. To understand, that's a lie, too. God cares, and God knows. And even though you have wandered far away from God, God is still near to you. This is what you have to understand. Those are two big lies about God and what God thinks about people who are far away from him. God is not mean. God is not vindictive. God isn't trying to draw you back just so he can put you under his thumb and make you miserable. God is not far away from you. He's not disinterested. He doesn't love you any less. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. So if they're two big lies. Here's one giant truth. Will you listen to me? One giant truth. How does God feel about people who've wandered away from Him? It's very, very clear. It's in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 19. He says, I would love to treat you as my child. I would love to treat you as my own child. I want nothing more than to give to you. The big truth, the giant truth, God wants all His children to come home. God wants all of His children, all of His wayward, wandering children, He wants all of us to come back to Him, to come home to Him. Now, what does He want to do with us? What does He want with us? This is the important question. What does God want for me? Why is it so important to God that I come back to him? Are you reading what the scripture says? God says, I want you to be my children because I want to bless you. I want to give to you. I want to give you. Look what he says. I wanted nothing more than to give you this beautiful land, the finest possession in the world. I look forward to hearing you call me father. And I wanted you never to turn from me. I know that some of you will have a hard time understanding what I'm about to tell you, but I think it's the truth in Scripture. It's a difficult truth, but I still think it's the truth, and that is simply when it comes to your life, your everyday life, God doesn't get everything he wants. I know he's God. I know that he's sovereign. I know he has a purpose and a plan, but I know that God doesn't get everything he wants out of your life. Mine neither. neither. And it's plain in the book of Jeremiah, this is what I wanted, God says. I wanted to hear you call me father. I wanted you to walk with me so I could bless you. But you wouldn't. Do you understand? God has not gotten everything that he wanted. His purpose, his plan for his children has not come to pass. And it's not God's fault. It's the people's fault. Now, drill down into that and understand what that means for your life. It means very, very simply, there are blessings, there are good things that you have never received because you won't follow God. Now, you might call yourself a Christian. You may say that you're a Christian. You might be a Christian. And let me say right here very clearly, if you've ever been a Christian, you still are a Christian you understand if you've ever been saved you're still saved i'm not saying that we wander away and then god cuts us off you understand in this scripture this is not a god who cuts his children off it's a god who always leaves a light on hoping his children will come home if you've ever been saved you're still saved but that doesn't mean that you're experiencing everything god wants for your life there are blessings you've not received because you will not You will not walk with God as a child with her father. You just won't do it. God says, I I wanted to bless you. That there are things I wanted to give you. I I wanted to give you the finest possession in the land. Do you understand? Only God knows how much better your life would be right now if you let him have his way with you. Only God knows how much better your life would be right now If you just let him have his way with you, but you won't. You won't. What does God think about people who wander away from him? He wants them to come back home. Do you understand? Everything that's wrong with your life right now. The the, the way the wheels have come off your marriage, the the way your children have wandered, the awful feeling you have when it comes to thinking about work, the awful distance you feel when when it comes time to come to church, the the coldness, the emptiness, the, the apathy that's in your heart right now. Did you understand? These are symptoms of a heart that's wandered far away from God. It's not supposed to be this way. Did you understand The the marriage that you're locked in right now, the the misery you're trapped in, don't you understand? That was not God's plan. That that was not God's plan for you. The, the, The awful hole that you've fallen into with your life, that was not God's plan for you. The the way you have good things, but but they continue to slip through your hands. It's like you take all the good things in life and you put them in a pocket with holes in it. You just continue to to lose. You you set important things down in one place and walk off and forget about them. Your life is chaos. Your life is out of control. And you've got to understand this is not what God had planned. God says, I wanted to bless you. I wanted to give to you. But I haven't been able to. I can't do it because you won't come home to me. Notice what else you hear in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 21. Voices are heard on the windswept mountains, the the weeping and pleading of God's people. For they've chosen crooked paths and have forgotten the Lord their God. Wow, the, the weeping and pleading of his people. It's an awful kind of, of cycle, and Henry Blackaby talks about it in the Fresh Encounter material, that awful cycle how God's people come to God and we walk with God for a time. He saves us. He, he comes into our heart. He cleanses us from our sin, and he sets our feet on a new path, and for a while, we follow him and we join him in, in what he wants to do in the world, but there's this inevitability, that this tendency for every single one of us to wander away from him God's people depart from him and that always leads to the same cycle a cycle of departing from God that always leads to our misery and ultimately we call out to God again now it's not very difficult when we think about it under what circumstances do people call out to God usually I'd say there are two Two circumstances when people tend to call out to God. The first circumstance is when you want to get something that you can't attain. I call out to God to get something that that I can't attain on my own. You're probably in those situations in your life right now. Most of the time you live your life and you don't feel a need for God and you don't call out to him until there's something in your life that you're lacking and you're never gonna get it on your own, then you call out to God. It's human nature to call out to God to get what you can't attain. The other circumstance is our tendency to call out to God to get out of something that we can't escape. We call out to get something we can't attain and we call out to God to get us out of something we can't escape. When you fall in the hole, when your marriage drops off the edge, when your children, your teenager looks at you and says he hates you, that's the moment when you realize you're caught in something now you can't escape on your own. And you call out to God. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying that indeed God longs to hear us call him Father every single day, but our human tendency is only to call on him when we feel like we need him. Well, we always need him. Notice what else. The people begin to confess. And they confess one thing in verse 23. Our worship of idols on the hills, it's been a delusion. Our worship of idols. Especially in the Old Testament, there's so much talk about the people's worshiping idols. It seems like that's the one way to talk about all of their sin, as to talk about it as idol worship. And literally, the ancient people of God, they would run to idols An idol would be a God, a false God that they would carve out of wood or borrow from their neighbors. It would be a God that they would set up to replace God with, the one true God. And they would truly fall down and worship often in horrible pagan sexual orgies and sacrifices. They would worship a God that was not God. And when they come back to God, always inevitably, they have to put the false gods away. In some ways, it might be easier in that ancient world to identify the false god because it's there. It's carved out. It's in the form of an animal or a woman or or, or a man. It's something that would be easy to pick up and and set outside. However, the idols in our lives are more difficult to identify because they're they're typically not sitting on the mantle. They're, They're not carved out of stone. They're just simply carved into our hearts. You see, an idol is anything that you set up to replace God in your life, and we all have a tendency to make idols. We all have a tendency to turn to something else to satisfy us. We we turn to something else to, to gain for us the things that only God can give us. We turn to idols hoping that they will get us out of the things that we can't escape. An idol is anything that replaces God in your life. But there is nothing That can replace God in your life. That's why the people say, our worshiping idols, it's a delusion. The the idol will never ever deliver to you what you pray for. It will never be able to satisfy you. Whatever you turn to, whether it's money, or whether it's relationships, or whether it's simply religious habits, whatever you put in that central place in your life, it cannot do for you what only God can do for you. It's, It's a delusion. That's when the scripture says the people have chosen crooked paths. A, a crooked path. You ever had a kid and you ever said to your kid, I'll tell you one thing, kid, you'll always have to learn it the hard way. Yeah. How many of you got that kid? Yeah. Man, oh, how many of you were that kid? Man, always gotta learn the hard way. This is what the scripture's talking about. God says, My children always take a crooked path. Anybody ever driven to Monroe County? You ever been to Monroe County? Exactly how far away is Monroe County? You may not know this. It's kind of a secret, but Monroe County is only about four miles away. Why does it take days to drive there? Because the road is like this. You know, if we could straighten that out, we could step over into Monroe County. But the road is just so crooked. Do you understand? In your life... You always take the crooked way. You always have to go the hard way. You always choose that for yourself. And it is foolish. It's ultimately foolish. And God says, I don't understand it. My children always have to learn the hard way. They always take the crooked path. Some of you right now are on the crooked path. Honestly, you can sort of see where you want to go and you know what God has for you and in your heart you want to go there, but you will not simply return to the Lord and let him lead you down the straight path. You continue to choose your own crooked path. Let's just stop right now. I want us to talk real honestly. I want you to look inside your heart. How would you know if you wouldn't already know, how would you know if you are that heart that has departed from God, that, that you're that person who's prone to wander and leave the God you love? How would you know if right now you've wandered from Him? Let's do a little diagnosis. Uh, open up your heart before God and, and think with me. The, the first question I would ask is, is... What's the level of satisfaction or contentment in your life? Now, I'm not talking about your circumstances. We all have bad circumstances. Some of you in this house right now are going through incredible t- trials. I, I understand that. But I'm talking about something deeper than your circumstances. I'm talking about your satisfaction level, your contentment level. One well, of the most famous verses in all of Scripture is Psalm 23, verse 1. It says what? That the Lord is my Shepherd, I shall not want. What does that verse mean? It means because the Lord is the one providing for me, because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. I have everything I need. The the real mark of belonging to God and the mark of walking closely with God is contentment. I have everything I need. I don't have to turn to alcohol. I don't have to turn to medication or drugs. I don't have to turn to other people. I don't have to turn to any other source because the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my source. I have everything. So so the first step is just to look at the satisfaction level. How desperate are you? How empty are you? How unsatisfied are you? It's an important spiritual sign. I think the next important thing to look at is, is your focus. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Probably the biggest problem with, with many of us, not all of us, but many of us, is that we tend to shift our focus from spiritual things to material things. This is especially true in our culture with, with, with people like us who honestly are very wealthy. I, I know that some of you feel less wealthy than others, but, but compared to the way many people in the world live, everyone in this room is very, very wealthy. We shift our focus from spiritual things to material things, and that always, always leads us away from God. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or or love the one and hate the other, But, but you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money, Jesus says. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Listen, and some people craving money have wandered away from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Even in Paul's day, one of the primary things that drew people away from God that would make people wander away from their faith is that fascination, that focus on material things, that, that focus on money and, 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 and cell phones and, and gadgets and, and cars and computers and large screen televisions that focus on material things all the things you can't take with you understand they will cause you to wander away from the faith you cannot focus on material things Wendy matter who is a, a friend of ours a missionary to Brazil says that the biggest difference they've been out of the country now for six or seven years she says the biggest difference and it's a striking difference Of our culture since she's gone and now come back, she says, is that now everybody she sees, everybody she sees everywhere, walks around staring at a phone. You know, if you had been away and you come back and you see the way people walk, you know, nobody talks in a phone anymore. We walk around and stare at it. You know, that's got to be some sort of idolatry. That's got to be some sort of incredible heart shift when people can't put it in their pocket and walk. Put it in their pocket and be with people. The people that you're actually in the room with. You understand, we focus on material things now. The TV shows we watch are all about homes and food. It's all about fleshly pleasures. Our focus has shifted. And Paul just reminds us that when you shift your focus from spiritual things to material things, you will inevitably wander away from the true faith. So, so where's your focus? Is it on spiritual things, the things money can't buy, or do you continue to focus your energy on all the things money buys? Whether you have money or not, where's your heart? Jesus says, because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Turn with me. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. The other just heart check here is to look at the sin in your life. Yes, I'm a Baptist preacher. Yes, I'm going to talk about sin. We've got to talk about sin. Now, some of you are believers, and you've walked with Christ for years, but you've wandered. And one of the, one of the primary ways that you can tell that you've wandered is that you've begun to do things that five, ten years ago you wouldn't have done. You've begun to allow things into your home that used to you wouldn't have allowed in your home. You now let words come out of your mouth that that when you were closer to God, you would have never said. You now have a relationship with your spouse that that is so broken and polluted because honestly, five or ten years ago, you wouldn't have let the things come between you that are now between you and your spouse. You've wandered from God, and one of the primary ways to see that is to look at the sin in your life, the sin that you become very, very comfortable with. Notice what Galatians 5.16 says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. It's plain. If you're walking in the Spirit, if you're walking close to God, you won't be doing the things that sinners want to do. You won't be doing these things. So if in your life you're doing these things, if your life looks just like every other non-Christian life of the kids at school, there's something wrong with you. You have wandered away from God. This past week, there was that gigantic cruise ship that, that sunk off the coast. of was in Italy. Have y'all seen the pictures of that? Now, what's the problem with that ship? Why did that ship sink? Is it because the ship was in the water? No. It's because the water got in the ship. Understand? It's the water in the ship that sinks the ship. And in your life, spiritually, you are in the world. Jesus knows we live in the world. It's not the Christian in the world that sinks the Christian. It's when the world gets in the Christian. And some of you in this house right now, your spiritual life is sinking. And it's sinking because you've let sin inside. And the only way, the only way for you to turn back to God is to repent. You've got to start bailing out your heart. Purging your heart of the sin that you have now let make a nest in your heart. It's sin. It's sin. Look at the sin in your life. That is a measure of the distance from which you've wandered from God. One more thing turn right across the page in Galatians to chapter 5, verse 22. What number am I on? Is this number 4? <laughs> I think it's 4. Uh, one way to check how far you've wandered from God is to look at relationships. The scripture says God is love. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So honestly, if you really want to see how close you are to God, you can look at relationships. A person who knows and loves God will be a person who loves God and other people. Love will flow through you. So you can look at relationships. If right now in your life you are in the middle of a constellation of broken relationships, you probably ought to look at your heart and see if you haven't wandered away from God. Notice what the scripture says in Galatians 5, 22. It's the list of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, What's the interesting thing about all the fruit of the Spirit? These are all qualities that can only be expressed in relationships. You Understand? Love, joy. Peace, patience. I can be patient all day long till I get behind somebody driving slow. Do you understand? I can be patient all day long till my wife comes home from work. You understand? These fruit of the spirit are expressed in relationship. So if you look at your life and these fruit are painfully missing, you are a person who has zero patience with other people. Now you are a person who is not known to be kind. If other people know you to be a bitter, unforgiving, impatient person, then listen to me. You are not walking in the Spirit. You have wandered far away from the God who is love. Look at relationships. Look at relationships. It's a pretty good measure of where your heart is. I I think the last thing that I can say with confidence is, is to look at the level of complacency in your heart. So how complacent are you? As I said, the Christian life is like riding a bicycle. If you're not putting all of your energy into moving forward, you're going to fall off. And some of you long ago, you stopped putting any energy into this thing. You just stop putting any energy. You stopped with your prayers, and you stopped reading the Bible, and you just pop into church when it's a good Sunday for you. You no longer really think much or have very much desire when it comes to your spiritual life. And I'm telling you, this is a giant red flag for you. It's a giant red flag. You can't grow complacent. You can't grow satisfied. You can't put your faith on autopilot. It's not going to work. It's going to crash that way. You have to want God. Did you understand? You have to want him. To have him in your life, you have to want him. That means you have to desire him and hunger for him and thirst for him. And some of you have long ago stopped being hungry for him. If you don't want God, you can't return to him. I would go so far as to say, if if you don't want God, you can't be a Christian. You have to want him. You have to want him. You have to want Christ to receive him. You've got to want God. There's a, a famous scientist named Temple Grandin. She's famous because she's brilliant. She's famous because she's very autistic. She's famous for her work with cattle. Temple Grandin apparently has more insight into the way cows think than anybody else. Go figure. So Temple Grandin has been employed as of late by the meatpacking industry to try to figure out a way to kill cows kindly, somehow. So Temple Grandin has taught them how to do that. Apparently, and this, this is science, apparently if you kill a cow and it's afraid, it releases hormones into the meat and makes the meat not good. They sell that to White Castle. (laughs) If the cow dies afraid or nervous or alarmed in any way, it releases toxins into the meat that makes the meat not good. So we want the cows to die happy and relaxed. Temple Grandin has shown them how to do that, honestly. She's developed an entire procedure for slaughtering cows so that they never know what hit them. She says the important thing is not to surprise the cow. You've got to make sure that the cow stays very peaceful and complacent. So when you bring them up on the truck, Temple Grandin says, do not shout at the cows. You've got to tell the farmer in your life, don't shout at cows. It makes them nervous. You just stay very quiet and peaceful with them. If they remain calm, they'll go wherever you want them to go, she says, and they do. So the workers remain very, very calm. They open the truck door and the cows will just walk off in a single file. You don't yell. You never ever cattle prod them. They don't like that. You just walk them very quietly, very peacefully. You keep them calm. You don't let them know that anything is happening. She has designed pathways. So when the cows walk, it gets increasingly more narrow. She says cows like that. She says they like to be closed in. It comforts them. It reminds them of being close to their mother where their mother would nuzzle them and take them home. And so the pathway gets more and more narrow and the cows enjoy that and they walk slowly and peacefully and they don't even know when a conveyor belt comes under them and picks them up off the ground. They're walking home, they think conveyor picks them up. They just continue to move their feet. They don't even know. And then a hammer drops and splits their skull instantly. They go from living creature to hamburger, just like that. They never even know what hit them. You know what the lesson in that for you and me is? The more complacent you are, the more in danger you are. Some of you in this house are so spiritually complacent. You've wandered so far away from God, and you don't even know it. You haven't even realized it yet, that your feet have left the path, and you don't understand that there is a hammer about to drop in your life. You'll never know what hit you. The more complacent you are spiritually, the more in danger you are. In late 1700s there was a woman who boarded a stagecoach and she's got into the stagecoach and she immediately sat across from an, a man a middle-aged man who looked much older than his years he made no eye contact he was obviously bitter mean and she didn't want to talk to him he never looked at her he just stared out his window the, the journey stretched out and the woman was a Christian woman and she began quietly to hum a song that she had heard at a revival meeting years ago. She started to sing the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. She began to sing it, and then the old man across from her who hadn't spoken words to her in hours, had never looked her way, said, what are you singing? She said, it's it's just a song that I heard in a meeting, it's called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Have you ever heard it? The old man just crumpled into tears and he said, I heard it, I wrote it. It was Robert Robinson, the man who said in the hymn, Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. That man who knew that God was a fount of every blessing and he he wrote that song, he said, come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing that grace. It was that man. It was the man who said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. He said, I heard it, woman. I, I wrote it. And then he said, I would give anything. I would give anything to feel now what I used to feel then. Robert Robinson died at the age of 55. A bitter man far from God. Why? It's so sad. Why? Because all he ever had to do was come home. All he ever had to do was was come back to God. Notice what the scripture says Jeremiah chapter 3. What does God say? My wayward children, says the Lord, come back to me. Just come back to me, and I will heal your wayward heart. Just come back to me. Do you understand? There are things that you can do, choices that you can make, and and things you can't do and choices you can't make. And the one thing you can't do is heal that heart of yours, that heart that wanders, that heart that won't forgive, that heart that gets bitter, that heart of yours that continues so prone to wander away from the God you love. You can't heal that heart. You can't stop that heart from wandering. But what you can do is bring that heart back to him. Come back to him because he can heal a wayward heart. When Robert Robinson was young, he prayed, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts of Come back to him. Come home to him. Only he can heal your wayward heart. Only he can seal your wayward heart. Pray with me. God, I pray that children far away from you today will hear your voice and come home. I pray that people who left you years ago, Lord, will today remember how much they miss being close to you and come home. I pray, Lord, for those who have turned to idols, those who have put other things in your place to try to get the things they want out of life, Lord. I pray that they will see the delusion of this come back home to you. Lord, I pray that people who have missed out on so many blessings, who have missed so many good things, Lord, will come home to you. And call you father. And let you begin to bless them. Oh, God. I pray for every heart prone to wonder that our hearts will come home to you today. Oh, God, may all of your children come home. Come home. Come home. For the sake of Christ.